I think a big part of what you just talked about and how money influences our relationships, a big thing to point out is we have to be our own teacher. Hey everybody, season three of Duel the Day, and I'm Nico, getting you started with this episode. And this episode is getting started with money. We're going to be talking about money in a series of episodes, trying to give you different perspectives, laying the foundations of money, budgeting, understanding investments, and much, much more. Today, because it's just the intro episode to this series. We want to tackle the mindset of money. We want to tackle how people perceive money, what it means to them, and the power that it holds over them. Too many people are afraid to look at their budgets. Too many people are afraid to sit down and go through a budget and create one. And we want to take some of that stigma away and show you how important it is to truly understand money. So with that, let's get into it. All right. So kick things off here and really get a a good foundation. I think it's really important we establish why this is extremely important. So whenever I think about finances and money, it's a super dense topic, right? It's there's so much shit to think about so many things it's overwhelming and often paralyzing but to lay a couple facts and figures on you as to why what we're talking about in this series and starting up in this episode is is important is regardless of the amount of money that you actually currently have that doesn't matter all that matters is what nico what you're just saying about the mindset because when you look at pro athletes There's 78% of them go broke after just three years of retirement. And you're looking at millions of dollars that they have made. And because they are not financially literate or don't have people helping them or people stealing from them, which that happens, but they, they go broke shortly afterwards. Same thing for lottery winners. I don't think it's any, uh, you know, shocker when, (laughs) Right. To to hear what people hit in big, uh, they're often left in a worse financial situation than before they even won, which is honestly kind of mind blowing to me. But and I, I want to add something real quick to this statistic so people understand like the full scope of how crazy that number is. For example, the NFL has a league salary minimum. So even if you never get out to the field to play on Sunday and you're just on the practice squad, you're still going to be making somewhere around a quarter of a million dollars a year. Now, that could even go up higher to 400 or 500,000, but let's just say a quarter million dollars. And then an average NFL player, even on the practice squad, could be there for four or five years. So let's just say a mil- you have a million dollars at some point or you've made a million dollars <laughs> at the NFL, that 78% of those people go bankrupt. That's crazy. It's sad. And you know, here I am thinking about that and like 
oh man, if I made 250 grand this year, like I'd be set, but honestly, I'd probably fuck it up too. So <laughs> <That's>, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very true. Um, but uh, that's good to point out. I didn't know what the min minimum salary was there, but yeah. so in addition to pro athletes and lottery winners and stuff, I'm sure we can all relate to uh, current marriage statistics, divorce rates. And when looking at the um, survey by Ramsey Solutions in 2017 had over a thousand respondents in this survey, and they found that money fights are the second leading cause of divorce, obviously behind infidelity. I would I would hope that still ranks number one, but it could be uh, financial arguments could take over. Oh, yeah, man. Nearly two thirds of all marriages start off in debt. Forty three percent of couples married more than 25 years started off in debt, while 86 percent of couples married five years or less started off in the red twice the number of their older counterpart so it's not getting better it's getting it's getting worse is what this this survey has found in addition to those said one third of people who can say they argued with their spouse about money say they hid a purchase from their spouse because they knew their partner would not approve and we can go on and on with more of these moral of the story is Financial stress, financial illiteracy ruins relationships when we can have a simple, I shouldn't say simple because it is a very disciplined investment on your part to become literate Mm -hmm. in the world of finance. But if you do that, you're going to have, you're going to eliminate this out of the equation. And even myself, who I think I know, I know enough to be dangerous is my dad's famous quote in like everything. Even, even then I still have, you know, Megan and I still have some financial issues when we talk about, sure, they're, they're good, healthy conversations, but even knowing enough or a little bit is still pressing or taxing in the in those areas so this is just something that's really important that we take our time and and figure out what it is that that we need to learn and and where our weaknesses are and just to create a plan and obviously the goal of this first episode is to try to develop that mindset right so that when we do have uh the the money or we look at a budget or we look at our total portfolio and where our money's going and what it's doing, we actually can understand what's happening. Yep. I think a big part of what you just talked about and how money influences our relationships, a big thing to point out is we have to be our own teacher. We Most of us are not going to grow up in a household where our parents sit us down and go over a budget and get you a checking account and send you like $10 allowance money and tell you what to do with it. That is happening more and more. Yes. But I mean, I know I didn't get something like that. I was fortunate enough to, to get educated in money through my parents just slowly over time, but nothing like that. And I would imagine a lot of people out there are in the same boat. They, didn't really get the money conversation. They didn't get the full breadth of the topic to truly understand it later on in life. And I point that out because some of us might be sitting here like 
getting financial advice from other people. They might be getting financial advice from a friend or a family member. And that's great. But unless you know what's going on, you don't know if the other person's telling you something that's bullshit or not. Mm. And so it's it's most it's super important to be financially literate so you can understand your situation and understand the best ways to get to where you want to be financially. Yeah, so, exactly. And even to to your point there, so if a lot of parents aren't taking the time to teach their kids how the basics of these things work, either they don't have time, they don't feel that it's important, or they don't know themselves. I mean, it's kind of hard to teach somebody right. something you barely know anything about. And plus, like we've talked about before, like you don't want to take advice or education from people that haven't mastered or in the process of mastering Mm -hmm. that. So it's like, why am I going to take financial advice from people, even those in my own family that have more debt than I do or have uh, issues with spending and don't have a solid budget created, but you know, and if the parents aren't doing it, and certainly, I, at least when I was in school, they might have changed it now that school isn't doing it either. I mean, even no. even college classes don't really talk about personal finance. Like no. it's more business finance or at the company or yeah. marketing level, right? And so it's just, if you're not learning it at home and you're not learning it at school, and I shouldn't say that nobody's learning it at school because there are i know there are a few schools sure. that do that not i don't remember taking I, I don't remember what class it was in but I, remember, I think it was in high school there was some personal finance thing but it was like i don't know we spent an hour on it <laughs> so oh, good <laughs> yeah so yeah i'm i'm a master yeah <laughs> yeah that's all you need just an hour but so, I mean, just to just to emphasize your point, if, if parents aren't teaching it, if we're not learning it in school, we have to be our best self-educator. So spot yep. on. And I think with that, what we'd like to do today is, is set up a scenario, a general scenario that everyone can kind of easily uh, follow along with us on. And we're going to use this scenario, fictitious scenario, to give you guys an idea of what we would do in certain situations, what we've learned because of those situations. And hopefully all of this will help you see money in a slightly different way and get everyone prepared for the next episodes that we're going to be putting out. So today we're going to be talking about Steve. Steve Steve is this is our fictitious person today. Steve has just graduated college. And he has gotten his first job that is paying him $50,000 a year. And so that's that's a great job. Good job, Steve. And way to go, uh, way to go Steve. <laughs> uh, and we're going we're gonna to get a little more detailed here just because of some other stuff. And uh, also for, for my sakes, because I'm familiar with this, uh, we're going to say Steve lives in Tennessee because <laughs> I don't want to try and figure out like California taxes or anything like that, cost of living. So we'll say that Steve's job has taken him to Tennessee. Now, the first part of the situation, let's say Steve is moving to Tennessee. Okay. So he has to find a place to live. 
Now, in today's day and age, people can rent or they can buy. From an investment and long-term perspective, buying a house is better because you're building equity and you will eventually get that money back. Sometimes buying a house doesn't work out for the person. Maybe in the area that Steve is moving to, $50,000 doesn't really work out when it comes to a house. So maybe he's looking at an apartment for a couple of years. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with getting into something, stabilizing your financial situation and planning for another move later on. However, the normal rule of thumb that we've read across several different financial books is your rent payment should not be over 30 to 35% of what you make in a month. So if Steve's making, call it $4,000 a month after taxes. He shouldn't be spending more than what, $1,800, something like that, $1,500. So he should look. I think that checks out. Yeah, that was just ballpark for me. (laughs) Uh, But what that does is it gets him what he needs for the house. Okay. A little sorry. That's fine. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, What that does is, it gets him what he needs in terms of a place to live, but it doesn't totally eliminate all the extra money that he has to spend on food, utilities, internet, phone, any other subscriptions. If he wants to eat out a couple of times, whatever it is, that gives him a little bit more balance and a little bit more resource. And on top of that, if Steve is coming into this apartment and this job with debt, that'll help him pay off that debt and not be even more strapped when it comes to the day-to-day purchases and the the monthly budget. Um, so with that situation, people may be asking, okay, what's what else do you have to keep in mind? Because you just threw a lot of stuff at us. One of the other things to keep in mind is credit cards. This is something that I think is important to point out. Now, if you We'll talk about some of the book resources or some resources you can find to learn more about money. And you'll hear a lot of different perspectives on credit cards. Here's my personal perspective on credit (laughs) cards. If you pay on time and in full every single month and you do not make a late payment and you are using a card that gives you cash rewards having a credit card is worth it. You're able to build credit. You're able to get money back. You're in essence, you're getting paid to use the card and you're not getting charged interest. If you pay it like that, interest only happens people when you are late with a payment. If you pay everything off in full interest is not able to accrue and you never pay interest. So even though credit cards can be scary, if you understand how to pay them, that makes the entire situation way more manageable. So for Steve, he'll need to weigh the options if he already has a credit card, okay, but maybe he needs to change the credit card he has. Maybe he has one with airline points and he never flies. Like, okay, it needs to be relevant to you in your life. So maybe he needs to make that change. And after he's found a place to live, figured out his credit card situation, I feel like something else he could do is is look at the food situation 
Look at how he's spending his money on a week-to-week, month-to-month basis. And one of the things that is most consistent is food, right? So how can we get the most nutrition without spending the most money? That's a that's a topic and an answer that's going to change from person to person. But that's the question that I would ask, that I would have anyone ask themselves if they find themselves in this position. Because the last thing people want to end up doing is getting a new job, moving to a new city, and then end up spending $1,000 a month on food or $1,500 a month. That's it. Using this example, $1,500 a month on food is more than he is paying for his apartment or his house. That doesn't really, that won't work long-term. So make sure that we're using our money in a smart way to where we're still enjoying life, living life, not being restrictive with what we're spending our money on, but understanding that like we need to have money for next month and the month <laughs> after. So I think those are those are kind of the first steps that come to mind for someone in Steve's situation. Um, and we'll get into how to make a budget and stuff like that in later episodes. But that's that's something that I would recommend Steve does as well. Get get situated in the apartment. And then every moment that you see a charge come through on your credit card or your bank account, put it in the budget. Start mapping it out and understand where your money is going. That's another crucial part for Steve and anyone else that's looking to learn about money. You have to sit down and understand where all your dollars are going because too many of us hit the automated payments button and then forget that we're paying for that thing. (laughs) And you know how this happens, like five, six months go by and then you're looking at your bank statement for some stupid reason. You're like, I'm still paying for Netflix or I'm still paying for something. It's like, what? (laughs) No, you have to understand that every single month. So make sure you lay all that out. Um, I can't, uh, I think the other important thing for Steve and anyone else in his situation is to remember to pay yourself or remember to save. So both of those to me mean the same thing, but they may mean slightly different things to other people. So whatever that means to you, the idea is to give yourself, give your future self the money that, that you want. Now, again, people are going to have to, Steve in particular is going to have to figure out how that works for him. If he wants to pay himself a thousand dollars a month. Okay. He may not be able to go to shows or concerts. He may not be able to eat out as much. He may not be able to buy random things that he wants for his apartment. He's going to have to plan that out more so he can pay himself. And understanding all of that is a is a good start for Steve and for anybody else in that type of situation. So really the next step after figuring out all that is learning more and trying to find different resources and trying to understand money from different perspectives. The before uh, sorry I'm talking a lot here but the the thing that comes to mind with the different perspectives is kind of what I mentioned about credit cards 
uh, or comes from where I mentioned about credit cards. Dave Ramsey has this outlook that credit cards are pure evil. You should never use them, all that other stuff. But there's been a couple of examples of people calling into his radio show, telling them how they use credit cards. And he actually thinks that they have a good credit card. And so it's not, it's not black or white. There's different perspectives to everything that involves money. And I think for anyone listening to this or starting off on their own journey with money, we have to listen to multiple perspectives to understand money better and make better decisions for ourselves. Yeah, I agree. Good, uh, good way to set up Steve's journey. I think one thing we left out is, does Steve have student loans? I would say to make it relatable, I would say yes. Yeah, no, and, and I, I can't remember if I touched on that or not, but it's a great point. You know, it, one of the things I was mentioning was he has to plan out where his money is going during the month, and student loans can be a huge percentage of your, you know, what you spend every month. So understanding how much that is, and making sure you're not spending money too frivolously. If you're going all out in other areas, but you don't have enough for your student loans, probably going to be bad. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Make sure you have that front of mind. All right. So to get to the episode today, after, you know, Steve takes care of getting to Tennessee. uh, The first thing, like we said in the beginning, we want to go through is, is establishing our money mindset, right? Evaluating how we think about money from what we've learned over the course of our life so far and to see what needs change, see where we need to go to begin to have uh, success with our finances. So starting off with that, I think we should just let's define money, right? I think the best definition I've ever heard of money is Money is simply a tool that takes on the identity of the person that has it. I think a common misconception or judgment is people with a lot of money are bad. They did something to get ahead or they did something that wasn't right or it was wrong and bad to acquire their wealth or it was passed down from their grandfather or parents or whatever. We we look at someone that that is money is has a lot of money especially when we don't have as much or we're stressed about our financial situation and we think that that person's bad. That is fundamentally false. There are yep. bad people that do bad things with a lot of the money that they have. <laughs> it doesn't mean that money is bad because yeah. there are just as many if not more people that are good that do a lot of good things with with their money. So we need to break that barrier down or that wall that says that money is bad and we shouldn't try to attain it. You know, I think another thing I'd think when talking about money is this uh, aversion we might have for wanting to acquire it, right? And we feel like it might make us seem like we're going after the wrong things. Right. Like there's how many times have you heard in your life? There's, you know, life's just not about money. You know, there, there's more to life than money. Right. And I mean, mm-hmm. I totally agree with that, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to attain it because unfortunately it is 
something that we need to provide the basic human needs for ourselves and for our families right yep and you know with those things being said i think that kind of plays into why money and finance are just a, a big pain point for not only individuals but for other you know relationships like we talked about earlier is to pop in something uh capital one did a mind over money survey and uh what they found was that 77 percent of americans reported feeling anxious about their financial situation and obviously we've seen a lot where anxiety has been a much growing a a a much growing that's great english tyler (laughs) (laughs) an increasing problem for for our society and this obviously plays a role in that yeah yeah and and going back to the example of steve and thinking about this mindset and how how he could do like how he could prepare himself for something like that is is to read is to understand more resources I would imagine that out of those 77% of people that felt anxious about their money situation, almost all of them don't have the same level of education around money as the other 23%. Yeah. If if he just knew more about money, about what to do with it and the options that he had to use, I feel like most people feel a little less anxious. So if you're listening and you're feeling anxious about money, take your time and go find different resources that align with you and your financial goals and learn. That's one way to get rid of that anxious part because yeah, it's something that all of us are going to feel when dealing with money just because we want to get it right. But getting it right is about knowing your options and choosing the right one. So make sure we're educating ourselves if we're feeling anxious about money. Yeah, I agree. And I think the other interesting thing to chat about here is I think it, at least for me too, when just thinking about money and, and finance being a pain point is I, I think we hold a lot of gravity with our financial decisions and that paralyzes us to make those decisions where it's like if i don't decide right what (laughs) how much to invest in this or how much do i save or do i put money here or use this type of account or whatever and i feel like at least for me in the past i haven't done anything because i feel like if you make a one bad decision like you're screwed and i would argue that that's not the case you know what Mm -hmm. your experience has been with that if you felt that way but um i mean if you just look at people that are entrepreneurs or business owners how many times have you seen that this guy started five businesses they all failed bankrupt however many times and then oh the sixth one and okay now he's a you know multi-millionaire right or has success so I don't think that that's the case that one wrong move and you're screwed for life. I think there's forgiveness there, but it does seem that it it is put up on that high pedestal of if I don't make the right decision here, I could be headed down a really bad road. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I would I would imagine tons of people think that. However, if I had to take a guess, 
if I was a guessing man, which I feel like I do a lot, um, <laughs> I would imagine that those people feel that way because they're only looking at what they currently make month to month. And let's say they want to make, they only make, for Steve's example, he makes four grand a month after taxes, 1200 of that goes to rent, all this other stuff. And let's say he wants to make a $1,500 investment in something. He's going to feel like he's strapped or like he needs to make the right decision or this is a critical moment for him or what have you. And, and I get that. But what I would urge people to start to think about in those moments is, okay, if you want to make that investment, cool, research it, make sure you're making the right one, but also realize that you can make more money. You can go out and make more and make that $1,500 investment seem absolutely irrelevant. If Steve is making four grand a month from his normal job, be willing to bet that he could probably squeeze in a part-time job on nights and during the weekends, make a couple hundred bucks a month extra. And that extra $1,500 investment is not going to hit him so hard, or he's not going to be overwhelmed when he's in the moment choosing an investment option. So I think that's part of it too. Everyone needs to realize that the money they have coming in right now is just that. It is the money that you have coming in right now. It doesn't mean that you can't make more. It doesn't mean that you can't start a business or find other ways to make money. And so keep that in mind if you're feeling overwhelmed or insecure about a decision, realize that you have the power to do anything you want, and that includes increasing your income. Yes, absolutely. And I definitely, in in the later episode, want to talk about the the two kind of styles there, where it's the the whole. You know, if I spend twenty dollars less a month on these things and put that over here, and cut back on this, and put that over there and you're uh, playing dang. jungle or jungle you're <laughs> insert funny phrase that i can't think of there yeah. you're jungle I, I wanted to say jungle gymming your finances and that just doesn't <laughs> really i think i wanted to say juggle <laughs> and jungle we'll, go gym, we'll, go, we'll go juggle <laughs> But you're so you're juggling all of these different categories around to try to make things fit. And it's like, how about you just go make some more? Right. Nobody is stopping you from making more. And I know that sounds super simple, but we're going to, I definitely want to talk about that later. We're going to have a a side hustle special episode uh, as well, which should be pretty fun and entertaining. Mm -hmm. We'll throw some really bad ones in there too, just for, uh, yeah. Shits and gigs. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. When I just think of money mindset, you know, we kind of covered a couple good good points there. Um, I think the other question that that I ask myself a lot is, and Steve should ask himself, is do I need a financial planner? Do I need somebody else to think for me or to add input or whatever to help me succeed with finances. So I have my own opinion on that, but I'd be interested to hear yours. Yeah. So I think for everyone listening, the first thing that I want to say to answer that question is we all need to understand what a financial planner is and what they're doing and how they make money. 
So a financial planner is basically a salesperson for a financial institution, and they get money for signing clients on because when they sign clients on, they get a percentage of the fees that are like a part of the investment that you're making. So if you invest in stocks, anytime they move those around, there's a fee, they get paid for just managing that, which basically means like you just pay them to take care of your money and not fucking sell it or do something stupid, right? So there's certain things that financial planners can give you access to that you may not be able to access by yourself or at least get into as easily. But most people probably don't need a financial planner if they look through resources, learn about money, and figure out some basics of saving and investing that works for them. Um, Because out of the experience that I've had, I, I got like looped in through an old high school buddy into this like financial <laughs> planner thing. And they like took me to lunch and like talked to me about my financial goals and stuff like that. And it, it felt very like used car salesman-y. <laughs> and so like it basically that's what they're doing. They're trying to create a connection, make the other person feel good about where they're going to be sending their money and then get them to invest with them. That's basically what they're doing. At the end of the day, you can get the same types of returns or better without a financial planner. So now all that being said, if you're the type of person that has looked through a ton of money resources, a ton of books, videos, articles, whatever, and you still feel uncomfortable about what you should invest in or where your money should go, and you don't mind paying a fee for someone to help you out with that process, by all means, get a financial planner and get someone to help you on your journey, 100%. But again, make sure you're understanding the fees properly, make sure you understand taxes, make sure you understand exactly what everything is going into and that it's aligned with you as a person and your goals um, and your values. Because... uh, Again, not everyone needs a financial planner, and sometimes they do things that uh, you're you're not aligned with. Um, you know, so just yeah. be careful. Yeah, no, exactly. And my opinion is is somewhat similar, and I think too, and something I don't fully understand the legal jargon of it, but I think fiduciaries are like legally bound to work in your best interest, and yep, they might there might be a different structure of of fees and how they make money and and stuff so i think if you if you're going to go anywhere you need to make sure that they are a fiduciary uh either the the company or the person whatever it is but when when i think of do i need a financial planner i i think at least for a lot of people um myself included and my wife included it's a I want somebody to tell me that I'm doing it correctly or that I am <laughs> yeah. j- just some reinfor- positive reinforcement, right? Or it's like, uh, no, I wouldn't do that. Or, hey, you're missing out on all of this. Just just a, a general guidance. And I can't remember if I read it or I heard it somewhere, but somebody was saying something similar and they were like, yeah, you know, I I went into this this company and tried to talk to talk to a guy and it was very like you said used cars sales mini stuff 
And I left. And then a couple of days later, I called him up and asked him out to lunch. And we just had a financial conversation. He told me everything I needed to know. And we went our separate ways. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so uh, always do that. Or if you have other other people in your life that are know what, know what they're talking about when it comes to money, I mean, just take them out to lunch, take them to dinner, pick their brain. Because if, if all you need is some guidance or just some affirmation that you're doing something correctly, I feel like that takes the place. Because I mean, to your point, and I've read as well that the way the fees are structured, it's a percentage of your profits. And so the relatively usually small percentage of profit that you're making, you know, I guess what's average seven, eight percent sometimes so, if you're if it's good. So I mean, if that's if their percentage is only a small portion of that, I mean, that's just you're you're getting you're losing profit on on your gains and not from like kind of what's in your portfolio. And I, th- I think there was, there's another thing I was reading that it was, uh, it becomes compounded somehow. So like the more, the more that you make over the time, like that certain fee structure kind of keeps like upping. So it's not just like, Hey, I made all this money and it's like, Oh, I only have to pay this person 1% of the profit margin. It's like, it's really some weird, jargon and structure right i don't know if you know more about that but it's it definitely isn't exactly what it seems at first glance so if you are in that scenario of where you're looking at financial planners or looking at at uh at companies to manage your money for you really take the time to read that and understand and ask questions of what's going on there because that could really screw you in the long run yep yeah i want to touch on that real quick and also uh, define a little bit of what a fiduciary is just so we get that in there um so in terms of the fees and how they compound the i think that's correct and from what i understand the reason why that's correct is because all of these fees um are being calculated every month because you have to think about it from a business perspective, the financial company that's managing your money has to show that everything has been finalized, has to show that nothing's moved, has to show how it's grown or increased in profit or lost profit. And they have to do that every month. And so because of that, in that monthly statement, in that monthly processing, they take out your fees, they take out the percentages. So yes, it is a, it's usually a small percentage, make sure you understand how often those percentages are being calculated or being you know taken out of your portfolio because it can absolutely compound across a year and you can end up paying way more than you expected now one of the ways to avoid a nasty situation like that is to make sure that you're talking to a fiduciary um and the best way i can describe a fiduciary off the top of my head here is is this your normal financial planner is not legally required to tell you what is in your best interest. So if you went in there and said, I want to invest in all green energy, I love the tech sector, and that's where I want to keep the bulk of my investments, they don't have to sell you on anything that's related to that. They don't even have to tell you if there's something super new, uh, a new index of funds like that. They don't have to tell you about that stuff. 
they they are really just trying to sell products that their company has made, investment products that their company has made, and give them to you. Now, a fiduciary, a licensed fiduciary, is like obligated. They have to tell you that stuff. And to me, that like, I don't think there should be another type of financial planner. Like, I right. feel like they should all be <laughs> fiduciaries, right? But that's that's not the case. So make sure if you are seeking out a financial planner that they are a fiduciary, because the last thing that anyone wants when they're starting off their journey with money is to be steered or put in the wrong direction right at the start. Um, that's going to leave a bad taste in your mouth. It's going to leave you with less fine, less money at the end of the day because your money is not growing like you think it should. So be careful when you're when you're seeking financial planners out and make sure you work with a fiduciary if you do. Sweet. Yeah. Good, uh, good definition there. Um, but yeah, so now we kind of talked a little bit about our money mindset for Steve and kind of where at least the first few things that he should be thinking about and, uh, reframing his mind from wherever it was beforehand. I think the next next place to go is as we just wrap up here is to to give some some resources right some things that that we've read and looked at things that we've used that have helped develop our money mindsets and uh that everybody listening can can start diving into and and pointing towards so I yeah think one of the the first books that i ever read was uh rich dad poor dad by robert kiyosaki yeah and it's it's a cool story and just a couple highlights this book will explode the myth that you need to earn a high income to be rich which we definitely talked about back in season one yeah <laughs> uh, it'll challenge the belief that your house is an asset which i kind of want to reread this because that's an interesting bullet point mm -hmm. show parents why they can't rely on the school system to teach their kids about money Ding ding. Yeah. Define once and for all an asset and a liability and teach you what to teach your kids about money for their future financial success. So there's a lot of really good, really good points in this book, a lot of good things, things to learn. And I guess when when we're setting up what resources to look at, there are a lot out there. Yep. There are many, many people, many different theories, many different ways to go about certain things. And so I think that it is best to start with a few. And as you kind of get uh, more familiar with a certain speaker or writers or a person's ideology when it comes to finance, you can evaluate if your thoughts align with theirs or not. Because as there are a lot of good points in Robert Kiyosaki's books, I do think there are a few areas that he talks about that are a little outside of my scope. And so I keep his stuff around, but it's not a gospel. So when we're evaluating all of these different resources, once you find a couple people that, that you really like what they're saying, they, they jive with you. I, I would stick with them instead of try to dip your toe into everybody's person. Cause at some point something's going to contradict and then you're going to be like, oh, shit, what now? Yeah. <laughs> like I've been I thought this was true for years and all of a sudden it's not. Well, via it, this guy with that stuff, what I would remind everyone, especially if we're just talking about book resources, is that th these 
books were written by people who thought that all of this information was good and quality information at that time. Yep. And so from the time they wrote the book to where we are right now, new stuff may have happened in the market. There may be totally different investment options. There could be different ways to manage your money, what have you. So make sure everyone understands that whenever you are digging into these resources, because yes, they're probably, if you, especially if you go back far enough, you're going to find some contradictory statements here and there. So just keep that in mind. Cause I, I like for people to see opposing perspectives and to see all of that, but just, you have to understand that going in or else you are going to get confused. If someone tells you in one book that 401ks are the shit, and then you hear in three <laughs> other books that they're bad and you're like, I don't know what this is anymore. So yeah, yeah just keep that in mind. Definitely. Uh, the other one or one of the other ones I wanted to point out is actually another book by Robert Kiyosaki called the cash flow quadrant. And here is just a good understanding of different ways that people make money. And again, this was written a while ago, so there's probably potentially some new things out there, but they might be able to be put in each of these categories. But basically he describes, if you just look at a plus sign, you got four quadrants there. You have ESBNI standing for employee, self-employed, business owner, and investor. And so he kind of goes in and dives in about all those different types of ways that people make money, what the pros and cons are, uh, of them all. And it gives a good, basically framework for where do you feel like you want to move yourself towards? So it gives a good mindset, uh, for, for those different, those different quadrants and gives you the limitations of each. So that's, that's a great resource when, when you're just starting out like Steve is here in good old Tennessee. Yep. Yeah, on, on top of that, I have a couple that I'm going to point out as well, book resources, yep. and um, I'm trying to think of the way to go through these. Okay, so the first one is Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. Um, that, I think, is a great place to start for a lot of people because they're going to easily relate to everything, most everything that is in that book. A lot of it has to like directly relates to people that are living paycheck to paycheck or people that want to get out of debt or people that are struggling to make ends meet month to month. A lot of the, the skills, knowledge, and tactics that he talks about in that book will directly relate to people in those situations. So that's a great book to start out with to get a good foundation of what to do to get out of debt and to start moving your money in the right direction check out Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. Now, if you want to get more detailed and understand some really nuanced stuff about money, I would highly recommend taking the time to read Money Master the Game by Tony Robbins. It's a hefty read. Uh, it is like that six six hundred understatement, dude. It's like <laughs> six hundred pages, but. I, I read it and it was phenomenal. Now, here's the crazy part. And this is partially why I, I brought up that point about new stuff coming up all the time. He has since released a sequel to that or a, a updated version, basically, mm -hmm. that has new information that isn't true from the previous book. So 
things change over time, but th- that one, I'll give you, I'll give you a couple examples that I remember from the book. One was a, a method of how to pay your monthly mortgage without paying more money, but simply by structuring the payments in a certain way, you can pay down your equity faster. You can pay down your principal faster. And so that's a cool little tidbit to know. I don't have to spend any more money and I can pay down my principal faster. Like everyone should know that. That that was a crazy thing I remember from that. Then the other thing he talks about at the end of that book is how giving money away actually increases and prolongs your happiness instead of getting money or getting things from other people. Um, So a lot of super cool perspectives and tools in, in that book. Highly recommend checking that out. And like I started from the base foundation with Dave Ramsey and talk to you just now about a little bit more nuanced stuff with Tony Robbins. If you want to understand the 30,000 foot view of money and how economies flow and things like that, read a book called Principles by Ray Dalio. He'll give you a, a really good understanding of how the economy flows at scale. And what uh, what he shows and what you realize is like, over time, most economies in established countries are going to move upwards. But throughout time, there's going to be a lot of peaks and valleys. And he shows like the 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 S shape, right? How it goes up and down, but kind of continues to rise over time. It's kind of the graphic for his book. And then even within that, even within those peaks and valleys, there's tons of other peaks and valleys, right? So like there's a lot of there's a lot of movement that happens in an economy of scale, but over time things generally are fairly predictable. So another book of great perspectives. And um, I think with those three, at least for me, that gave me a a really good, well-rounded perspective of money, uh, both at the micro and the macro. But yeah, obviously love those, uh, those books you mentioned as well. I feel like all of those are great resources for sure. Yeah, definitely. And the last one I wanted to bring up was a book, is a book called Planning a Successful Future by John Sestina. So to kind of continue with your analogy there, I think this this book is probably the most applicable and practical, like on the same line as Total Money Makeover is. I mean, there's a lot of good things about principles and how to think about money in general, but there are various worksheets and balance sheets and budget sheets to put in there and i mean the dude's a a boss (laughs) that that wrote it i've actually been able to to meet and talk with him and uh basically he is known as the father of fee only financial planning which is a way of of, uh, a structured company sets up as they don't charge uh they don't make money off of fees or commission from products they are paid a base rate on a monthly basis for their services and so there's no hidden nonsense there 
Nice. So that's so yeah, being considered the father of something like that is pretty baller. So yeah, that's pretty cool. That's a great resource that and it's more like I said, it's more practical, it's more physical. There's things to interact with in the book to to help help you get started on some of the things that we're going to be talking about here in uh later episodes along the series. Yeah, and to uh to kind of get into wrapping it up here before we go into the duel of the day, I wanted to to leave everyone with with a thought for how to start changing your mindset towards money. If we're talking about Steve and he's just moved to Tennessee and he's trying to figure out what he's spending on, what he's saving, I want everyone to try and change the words that we're using there. And these are going to be a little extreme, but I want to explain this for a quick second. So everyone always thinks in spending and saving. And I feel like that that kind of creates like, I don't know, a negative feel when it comes to spending money. Because when you feel like you're spending money, you feel like you're losing it. And it's like, no, you kind of need some of that stuff. <laughs> so instead of saying spending or saving, let's switch that to survival versus comfort because both we we like both of those things we like surviving and we also yep. like being comfortable and so that's even though it, survival may be more of an extreme word like all of us need a roof over our head food and water and so as long as those things are, are good we're going to survive and if we think about budgeting in that way we can start to see which items are things that we may want to take out of our budget or things that we may want to put in an example, a quick example that I thought of for, for men, and I'll go into women in a second, but a quick example for men is if you go out to a bar to watch a sports game two times a week, okay. Is that necessary for your survival? Are you going to die if you don't do that? No. <laughs> so so like is that is that necessary for you in your budget? Give that some thought. And the same thing when it comes to women, maybe maybe you like to go and get your nails done or get your hair done. Obviously super support that always. Need to make sure you're looking and feeling good, but is that necessary for your survival? If you are really stretching it out month to month and you're not able to make certain payments, do you need to be going to getting your hair done? Probably not, right? So change those words whenever you're looking at your budget or whenever you're looking into these resources and start thinking about survival and comfort instead of spending and saving. Definitely. As we've talked about before, just a simple shift in language can really alter how we experience and perceive things that are going on in our lives. So it's, it's great to point out. So as as we wrap up here, I think a great duel of the day for, for today and as we move towards Steve's next adventure is for you guys listening to to find your few resources or your framework or your speakers or your people that you feel comfortable learning from and taking a step to, as Nico is just saying, to evaluate what your current money mindset is. What do you, what do you think money is? Are you the person like I was talking about earlier that thinks it's bad, thinks that you shouldn't try to get it. You don't want to have a lot of it. 
or the opposite. And then using those resources or frameworks, start trying to find the steps that create your new money mindset. Start to create where we're trying to get Steve to go at, at the yep. end of end of all of this. And so we'd love to hear about any other resources that that you all have or have used, books you've read or videos that you've watched. Again, we're at dualaday.com or at dualaday on Twitter and Instagram. You want to send us a message, love to chat about the resources you guys are using because we can keep learning on that. So again, thanks everyone here for checking out, listening to Duel the Day as we start season three. Uh, Stay tuned for the next episode in the series where we're going to be taking Steve through some budgeting basics and giving all of you guys another Duel the Day to go along with that. Be sure to check out, subscribe at the website, dualaday.com, so you know when that drops as we get on our new schedule here for 2023, so you don't miss a thing there. We'll catch you guys next time here on Duel the Day, and as always, begin the duel, win the day. Peace. Peace.